Whatever happened to the global trade war that was supposed to threaten 2017? A conflict over global commerce was near the top of most people's risk list following Donald Trump's election. His America First inaugural address exacerbated those fears. But far from drawbridges coming up, global trade volumes have actually increased by quite a lot. The International Monetary Fund is projecting the volume of trade in goods and services will have climbed 4.2% this year, almost twice the rate of the previous year. What did the experts miss? And is it too soon to declare protectionism missing in action? Welcome to Benchmark, a show about the global economy. I'm Daniel Moss, economics writer at Bloomberg View in New York. And I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. In a year of surprises, a trade boom is right up there. Here to explain what's driving the surge is Andrew Maida, who reports on trade issues for Bloomberg in Washington. In a few minutes, we'll be joined by Arancha Gonzalez, Executive Director of the International Trade Centre in Geneva. She'll give us some broader context. Andrew, you and Enda Curran recently wrote about the unexpected jump in trade. As you reported that story, what jumped out at you? Well, the IMF is projecting that trade volumes will grow globally by 4.2% this year, and that's up from about 2.4% last year, so almost double. And it's significant because it's the first time since 2014 that uh, trade growth has actually uh, outpaced global growth. And again, that's significant because you're now having trade actually lifting global growth as opposed to being a drag. So are you saying that protectionism was this dog that was supposed to have a big bark but didn't really have much of a bite? You know, I think the jury's still out on that. I think uh, we'll have to see whether the protectionist uh, threat truly fades. Uh, You know, the Trump administration is still trying to renegotiate NAFTA. They made a lot of noise about cracking down on China in various ways. Uh, But it's certainly true that the trade war that Dan referred to that everybody was worried about when it was looking like Donald Trump would get elected has not come to pass. Uh, The global trading system has not been dismantled. And uh, it looks, uh, at least for now, that we're returning to a period of uh, that virtual cycle we saw uh, in the early 2000s when trade was reinforcing global growth. Now, how much of this can be attributed to the global economic upswing? I mean, is it that protectionism hasn't happened at all? or that the economy has accelerated and it's papered over those bumps? It's probably more so the latter. If you look at uh, the WTO's analysis of the numbers, for example, I mean, they point to some some pretty obvious engines that are driving this. I mean, China uh, grew uh, faster this year than, than perhaps some expected. Growth in the U.S. was uh, was fairly robust as well, uh, so you saw a rise in imports, and that and that that kind of lifted the trade boat. Uh, that said, the WTO also recently put out a report where they said that the amount of trade barriers that countries are throwing up increased at a slower rate. Uh, this year than it had last year. So countries were throwing up less trade barriers as well. It's really amazing to hear. But is it is it really correct to call this a trade boom when the amount of growth we're talking about, 4%, kind of 
pales in comparison to what we saw in true boom years 10 or 20 years ago? I mean, it's probably a fair point. I mean, there were years where trade grew at at high single digits, but I think it's fair at least to call it a boom let. And if you look at how much it increased this past year, and if you look at what the expectations were in terms of the protectionist threat, I mean, I think it's fair to say that, that trade growth exceeded expectations fairly significantly. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Now let's bring in Arantxa Gonzalez. She's executive director of the International Trade Center in Geneva. The organization has a joint mandate from the World Trade Organization, which Andrew just mentioned, and the United Nations. Arantxa, thanks for joining us. Our pleasure. Now, you're getting ready to attend a WTO ministerial meeting in Argentina. Is the jump in trade volumes, aside from good stake, likely to be something that people take comfort in when you meet them? Well, I think they will keep this uh, uh, in very high in their minds uh, when they discussed cooperation in international trade, because all of them are today benefiting uh, from the improvement in trade and the improvement in trade forecast uh, for next year, which, which is looking good. And I'm sure they will not want this trade uh, growth engine to stall uh, given the fact that they have to create millions of jobs, uh, they have to lift millions of people out of poverty, and that trade is today providing them precisely this tool that uh, in the last years they had not been able to use, which uh, is also one of the reasons uh, why they had a more tough uh, work in creating uh, new jobs. Arancha, of course, they wouldn't want this trade engine to stall but is 4% truly a sustainable pace that can be matched in the coming years? Or is that something that's too high or maybe even too low? We are still below uh, historical trends uh, in the last, compared to the last 10, 15 years. But it's a huge improvement over the very meager 1.6% growth, 1.3% growth of last year. So it's a good signal. Uh, it is uh, certainly a tool that needs to be keep alive and kicking. I don't think uh, this very good news that they are getting, which is a result of the good news they are getting on overall economic growth, uh, as we just heard, is one that deserves to be killed either by action or by inaction, which is precisely what I hope uh, uh, Buenos Aires WTO Ministerial Meeting will look at. So I think that gets to the nub of the question we're discussing here. Did we dodge a protectionist bullet or it is it a bit like the torpedo fired near the end of the hunt for Red October? It's still there searching for a target. Well, certainly the rhetoric, uh, the protectionist rhetoric is very high at the moment. And next to this protectionist rhetoric, uh, what we also have very high is geopolitical tensions and trade tensions. Now, uh, maybe we find a good way to channel these tensions, and I think I do hope we find good ways, intelligent ways, peaceful ways to channel these tensions uh, and through that manage the risks, but the risks are there. The WTO has just issued a very uh, important report in which they give us the good news, but they also give us a very clear warning signal that there are risks. This protection is rhetoric, granted, it's rhetoric for now, it's the dog that uh, barks a lot but has not yet beaten. Uh, 
There is geopolitical tensions, there is trade tensions, there is trouble on the natural disasters front, there is the, the risk of tighter monetary policy. All these are serious risks that should be taken seriously. So let's not declare victory, uh, I think. Let's just watch and let's encourage all actors to behave in a responsible manner over the next months. Arancha, when it comes to President Donald Trump, is the kind of rhetoric and positions that his administration has taken, that he advocated during his campaign, is that something that's going to be, you think, a permanent feature of the landscape for trade policy, or is this a, a passing phenomenon? I mean, I think Donald Trump is right when he says uh, that there is a discontent in many parts of American society. And I could probably argue that there is a lot of discontent in many parts of other societies around the world, in that the benefits of growth and the benefits of trade uh, are not equally shared. And they are not going to the 99%. They are accumulating uh, on the 1%, whereas the 99% is not seeing the same benefits. Now, where I would disagree with President Donald Trump is in what is the good recipe to address uh, this unequal distribution of the wealth and the benefits of growth. I think uh, what uh, history has proven is that investing in people, investing in making uh, individuals more resilient, investing in education, investing in healthcare, investing in infrastructures, including today digital infrastructures, including Investing in social safety nets is probably going to be more effective in empowering every man and every woman in America or around the world for that purpose uh, to withstand the huge changes that we're seeing in our economies that is probably uh, better managed through uh, this empowerment of the individual than uh, through uh, trade uh, isolationism or trade conflict, uh, which, uh, again, may end up killing the growth that uh, can uh, lift all these people out of uh, poverty. Arantxa, there's tremendous disappointment in Asia that the United States withdrew from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Now, there's a lot of caveats to that. It still had to get through the hill. But how are folks that you're talking to, the officials that you have a mandate from, how are they looking at NAFTA renegotiations right now? Do they have a sinking feeling? Well, what they are, they are watching very attentively what's happening uh, in the United States because what they see is lots of different forces pulling in different directions. These forces are pulling and pushing uh, with equal force, which probably makes many believe that uh, the center of gravity is not very far away from what uh, we have on the table today. And what they are watching is essentially uh, whether this will lead to greater costs or whether this will lead to greater benefits. And they are looking uh, not just uh, at the overall NAFTA membership, but they are also looking very attentively at how the U.S. actors, the business community, the farmers and ranchers that are relying on the NAFTA markets uh, also for their exports and for their jobs and for their future growth, uh, how they play their cards. Because the sentiment that they have is that the agreement has been beneficial, that the benefits have been greater than uh, what uh, the cost would be on, of a non-NAFTA uh, situation. But again, 
we are all watching this. Uh, we are watching in particular these forces that are uh, fighting in the US to find uh, this uh, right point of equilibrium because we, we in that uh, we see probably, uh, we try to read what the behavior would be in the US towards uh, future trade agreements. I think this is a good time to come back to Andrew because he recently spent a whole week in Mexico City following the NAFTA negotiations there. He's been covering that very closely for a number of months now. Be good to get his thoughts. Andrew, is the result of all this, when when this is all said and done, is this going to result in a net boost for trade or are we really talking about, you know, things kind of maybe moving around but not really changing that much? Well, I think NAFTA is a really important test case for the global economy. And I think the reason that is, is that this is probably the first time in decades, uh, perhaps uh, the modern history of global trade, that you have a major economy, the United States of America, trying to renegotiate a trade deal with the goal of actually increasing the amount of barriers. So I think it remains to be seen whether that can actually lead to some type of new consensus with Canada and Mexico, or if eventually that just leads to to the collapse of the negotiations. Uh, So in other words, is it possible through trade agreements for developed countries to address the type of distributional issues that a rancher raised. You know, some people might say, actually, that it's probably not trade agreements uh, that are the right instrument for doing this. It's probably more of an issue for domestic policy. But that's how I see NAFTA as a major test case for how trade can sort of be retrenched in the global economy. Arantxa, you play a key role in the World Economic Forum's Global Leadership Council on Trade and Investment, and I appreciate you letting me spend some time with the group last month. Were you in Davos when President Xi made his speech about China and the world trading system? Absolutely, yes. And this was a a very interesting moment when uh, we kind of uh, saw some sort of role reverse uh, uh, when listening to the uh, speech of the U.S. president and then listening to the speech of the uh, Chinese president. Yes, very interesting. Uh, Arancha, I actually worked in China for three years when, when Dan was our boss. And just thinking about that, the idea that China can be the savior of free trade would strike many people, many China watchers, as uh, probably a, a bit unlikely. How did it get to this point? Well, I, first, I don't uh, think the question is free trade. The question is one of open markets and international cooperation. And it goes beyond just simply free trade. And by the way, I never speak about free trade. I like to speak about open trade because free may give the impression uh, to those that are listening that we are advocating trade without any uh, obstacles, which is not true. I don't want trading toxic products and I don't want trading weapons and the rest of it. Uh, it's open economies that is at at the heart of this discussion, and it's the value of international cooperation to manage issues that have spillovers beyond our borders. And uh, what we're seeing is two different ways of looking at uh, these two dimensions. We are seeing some saying it's better that we retrench uh, beyond our borders, behind our borders, that uh, we look at boosting the prospects for our countries. 
understanding that doing that requires disengagement from the rest of the world. And there is another uh, view out there that says the strength of my country can only happen if there is a stronger world and a better managed world. So these are the two confronting views that, uh, that I see uh, playing today with different characters uh, around the world. The jury is out, but what I certainly uh, have observed in my over 30 years of working on matters that spill beyond the domestic borders is that there is a huge value in international cooperation to manage uh, climate change, to manage spread of diseases, to manage war and conflict, to manage reduction of poverty, and obviously to manage uh, the insertion of our economies in international trade. Have people's perceptions about China's willingness to lead changed? Or is it simply that that was a terrible week for United States PR? Well, I think uh, the China, China's style of leadership, uh, uh, and you will maybe tell me because you've lived in China, and I haven't, but what I have observed uh, is that Chinese style of leadership uh, it has always been very different uh, from, say, American or European style of leadership. It's more discreet, it's more pushing and pulling behind the scenes, uh, it's not necessarily shouting, uh, it's not uh, megaphone diplomacy, it's always been quieter. And what I have observed, at least what I saw for the first time in Davos this year, is a bit more... Uh, a louder voice uh, and a bigger voice uh, in China uh, and by China on the international stage. By the way, the, the speech in Davos uh, was succeeded by another speech that not many uh, followed, another speech by President Xi Jinping at the United Nations in Geneva, also uh, indicating very clearly that uh, China would engage more in uh, supporting uh, UN operations on the ground, on uh, peacekeeping, uh, on uh, uh, support for development of the poorer countries around the world. So, I mean, it sent two signals. In, in Davos, it was about the open economy. In Geneva, it was about the value of international cooperation. And it did so, again, in a different way than it had done uh, so in the past. Arantxa and Andrew, thank you so much for your perspective. Benchmark will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us and let us know what you thought. You can follow me on Twitter at Moss underscore Eco, Scott at Scott Landman, L-A-N-M-A-N. Arancha, you're at... Add Arancha, A R A N C H G L E Z L A Y A. Sorry, it's a bit too long. Andrew. At A M A Y E D A. I think Moss Eco was the easiest of those. Benchmark is produced by Sarah Patterson. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next week.